Every startup begins with an ambitious founder and an idea, but what inspires them to take the leap into the entrepreneurial world? I'm Peter Junho Sang, founder and CEO of Beyond Form, and welcome to our new founder series. I'll be sitting down with a few of our startup founders to hear about their journey as entrepreneurs in the fashion tech world. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with Ari Katz, founder of Roundrack, to talk more about his personal journey of entrepreneurship. Growing up in Israel, one of the biggest tech ecosystems in the world, Ari was influenced to become a founder himself, leaving a job and a startup to launch his own. With bumps in the road like losing two co-founders, we hear from Ari the struggles and rewards of becoming your own boss in the fashion tech world. We made every mistake in the book. I, I'll admit that I was unfair, um, but I think, I think again, even, even if in the beginning, um, or throughout the process, I thought that I was okay and the other side was not. I think once you open things up, uh, you realize that both sides probably um, are somewhat at fault. Let's get stuck into Ari's founder journey on this episode of Venturing Into Fashion Tech. How are you today, Ari? I am good, Peter, and thanks for having me on again. Looking forward to today's episode recording with this founder series. But before we get stuck in into the conversation, just to recap a little bit, because it is your second time on the podcast, we had you back in spring 2022. For our listeners that do not know, Roundrack is a tool that helps brands to collaborate with next generation materials. So we're going to hear Ari's founder journey in a little while. In terms of the market of next generation materials, the market size is currently estimated to be around 2.2 billion US dollars by 2026, according to the Material Innovation Initiative. In 2022 alone, 457 million US dollars were invested into such startups, which is a great number. However, it's not necessarily all rosy. For example, Bolt Threat announced in July 2023 that they are going to be pausing operations on Milo, the alternative leather product. They raised more than $300 million, but they cited that they need to pause operations on Milo due to commercial reasons. They have been backed by Cinema McCartney Caring and Adidas, so I'm guessing that's going to be a conversation for us, Ari, a little bit later on. But just to give us a little bit overview of what's happening in the next-gen material market. But without further ado, Ari, let's get stuck into you. So Israel is renowned for being one of the world's greatest tech hubs. How did this influence you when you were growing up? First of all, my father um, worked in or works in high tech as well, so that seems somewhat of a natural trajectory. Um, but there's just, I would say, um, both the aspect of entrepreneurship within the people um, and innovation. I think uh, a lot of it comes perhaps from the the state itself, perhaps the, the I, don't know if, I don't know if to call it the personality of the state, but the way the state of Israel sort of was founded um, and the need for to be quick, the need to uh, move fast and break things. Um, so it's really embedded um, in the people. Again, I think um, perhaps I would say that due to regulations, things here move slowly and it sort of forces people, or people prefer to go down the entrepreneurship and startup road versus uh, work the corporate jobs. And when you say force you down the entrepreneurship road, what does that mean specifically? You are a natural born entrepreneur or you had to learn it? I mean, I don't think um, I don't think there's such a thing. I think it's something that you learn as you go. I think that if you see more people around you do it, 
then you naturally have that itch. I think you you also have um, more inspiration and more potential mentors to take you there. Um, and, and as I mentioned, if the government jobs or corporate jobs aren't that high paying, um, then you're willing, you're more willing to take a chance and go down the entrepreneurship and startup road, you know, versus a place perhaps um, like working on a banking in Switzerland where you have a lot to lose. So here less. So then how did you actually reach that journey to, you know, starting your first startup? What was that journey like? So I had the privilege, and it's funny to call it a privilege because I think there was a lot of pain involved, uh, but the privilege in joining or being part of a, a small startup that went on to uh, to really grow, to really scale at a, at a fast pace and raise a lot of money um, in, the, in the fintech uh, uh, sector. And I think when you're on the inside um, and you're part of this journey, and again, there were there were a lot of mistakes made, and and I'll, I'll be honest, I think there was some uh, bl- bad blood there as well. But when you see it from the inside and you're part of the journey, I think I think most people, you know, tell themselves like, "Hey, I can do this too." Um, so once once you've seen it happen, um, and you sort of and you sort of learn or or even take to yourself take for yourself some of that secret sauce. Uh, I think you're you're more willing to do so. So, actually, my and I, th- I think we'll talk about this, but my original co-founder was part of that startup as well, and we sort of always had this understanding between ourselves that we would eventually uh, start something together, perhaps that we're more in, in a field that we're more uh, interested in, and and we were toying with the idea for a number of years until it eventually happened. So that was Alex, right? Your previous co-founder. Correct. How did you guys decide to leave? the startup that you're working at and then to create your own company? Did you just wake up one and like, let's just do this? Or how did that story come about? So I actually left that startup on my own for other reasons. And I was sure like I, I would go on and do my own thing. And, and then I was constantly sort of from the outside trying to convince him uh, to leave his position at, at this other place. Um, eventually I got him somewhat involved in, in, even at a, at a part-time, uh, position, but the trick is always, I mean, even if two people are, are somewhat on the same page, many times a startup will be more, I would say one person's baby and dream. And it's very, very important, um, to try to understand the, the motives and, uh, the reasonings for the other for the other side. And for, for, I, th- I think at, at one point I was able to do so successfully and, and Alex uh, was very involved as if it was his own baby as well. Um, but then the product evolves and, and our personal lives evolved as well. And, um, and then eventually we, we also uh, parted ways. How did the idea for Round Rack actually come about? So I think there are different ways how startup ideas come about. Um, let's call it there. You know, one way is from the inside out, and the other, the other one is the outside in. Um, the inside out, I would say, is you have some amazing idea and you sort of build together the other pieces for it to work. Ours was was the opposite. I, I would call it the, the the outside in, which is there was an area that we were very interested in: um, sustainability, uh, um, the environment. Alex is um, avid uh, vegetarian and uh, I would say an environmental activist even. Um, I was more into the fashion aspect and got very involved in the secondhand market. 
So it was sort of like, okay, we, we knew that there, there were areas that we we're both interested in and there was an intersection there as well. And then it was just a matter of, I would say, better defining or perfecting what exactly is the offering, what exactly is the product. And I think the benefit of, of working outside in is that in terms of your vision and in terms of, of your, the general area, you're, you're you're interested in it, it'll always stay constant and the product most likely will will evolve anyway and if you were sort of fixated on on a specific product or offering and then you you later realize that it needs changing then then you're at a problem because you it's hard for you to to connect um to, to the bigger picture and and you know it's been said more than once and by many people you'll fall in love with your customer uh versus the product so that was very much um, and still is uh, very much at least my, uh, my, my, my take on things where there's clearly an area which, which we're, we're passionate about. And there's, uh, I would say an, an overall problem and pain that we're trying to solve. And in terms of in the, the specific product that is constantly evolving and constantly changing. And I quite liked how you said that you were working from the outside in. We've been working with you since 2020, Ari, time has flown already and I have seen actually how you've done that in practice being an outsider to the fashion industry and learning all of these really great insights into actually how does the industry work and that isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do so how did you actually go about that what's the top tip you would give there so that's funny because I think um I'm not sure it was Peter Thiel or or someone um from PayPal who said that if they would have known how complicated and difficult it was, they, they wouldn't have got started. So there's definitely um, a benefit and an advantage of not knowing a specific field, um, being very objective and neutral and trying to tackle an issue from, from a completely different perspective. But on the other hand, it is very important to get to know the industry and gain expertise. And I think that's where um, our third co-founder came in, Alicia, um, who was an, uh, uh, an industry expert, a sustainable textile agent and consultant. And we sort of um, brought her in. And, and then we sort of had this great, I would say, duality between someone who knows the industry and saying, no, 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 this can't be done. No, no, this can't be done. And, and us on the other side or me on the other side saying, you know, this has to be done. Like, why not? you know, what, what do we need to change in order for, for this to happen? We're on the right path. Um, we haven't given up. I think, I think many times the better, you know, the industry, uh, the faster you are to give up on things. And I think some of the biggest changes in the biggest industries were actually made and done by those who didn't come from that industry. So that, that gives me hope. And I think there you said it's about not giving up. As I said right at the start, for example, both threads is pausing operations on one of their products. And I think with an industry like next-gen materials, it is about the long haul. It is about not giving up. On average, they're saying next in materials takes you know anywhere between five and ten years minimum just to get it to commercial scale. And obviously that has a big impact for you how you're building out your platform at Round Rack. So how do you think those two things play together? So it's funny because on one hand, when we we're trying to solve exactly that, we're trying to help material innovators get to market faster because now I guess it's safe to say that the the intentions are there. Um, the fashion industry are more, they're more keen, brands are more keen um, to put in the work, put in the money to start working with innovative materials, but it is still very, very complicated. 
There are a lot of unknowns. It's it's most it's practically a, a co R and D project which could take months. Uh, it takes months. It could take years. So on one hand, it's obviously very uh, um, sad to hear about uh, material innovators that need to close shop or sell their IP. On the other hand, it, it proves um, that you do need some sort of tool, some sort of solution that can really help them scale and streamline some of their work. But it is very much a, big, a question, um, is it too early? Is it too early for us? Is it too early for them? It's interesting because we we quite often go to events, to uh, to expos, and you still get the feeling at the sustainability expo, sustainable materials expos, or, or even the booths at the regular expos, where it's sort of like a nice to have, like you don't have the urgency you see um, of sourcing managers or designers at, uh, at at the big expos looking for materials because they actually need to start producing with this versus the innovative materials. It's like, oh, this is fun. This is cute. Maybe we could think of some, you know, some uh, one-off project. Um, and I think the answer to that is you, you must incentivize or pressure the brands uh, to get moving faster, you know, whether it's regulations, uh, whether it's pressure by, uh, by consumers. So I think we're, we're close, but it's, it's definitely a combination of, um, of the pressure on the brands on the other side, but on the, on, 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 from our side, um, making it easier for them to actually um, integrate and work with these materials. Yeah, and I'm genuinely, you know, being genuine here. I mean, I think out of all of the founders that I am currently working with, past and present, you are surely hanging in there in this market that is taking a little bit longer to reach commercial scalability and viability. So hats off to you there. <laughs> So let's go back to Alicia and Alex, your previous co-founders. So how did you go about that process of saying, yes, I want to work with you as a co-founder? And you kind of alluded to it. How did you go about that process of leaving them at the same time? Yeah, so to be brutally honest, in the beginning, you don't really have the luxury uh, to choose the perfect co-founder. I mean, not that they're not perfect people, great people. I love them on a personal level. But early on, you're looking for people um, that could complete your skill set. So obviously, I um, couldn't code if my life depended on it, if you uh, put a, a gun to my head. So that's where Alex comes in. Um, and on the other hand, uh, Alicia and her fashion industry expertise and her Italian accent or something I couldn't uh, pull off if my life depended on it as well. Uh, in fact, this is an industry that unless you have an, unless you have an Italian accent, no one's going to open the door for you. Um, so both of them were were an easy choice. It was definitely a it's definitely a challenge to uh, get their buy in and for them to believe in the same thing you're believing in. And for a lot of time, I think it was it was going really well. Um, eventually, again, we're, I mean, we know each other for, I think, over three years. So as you can imagine, things change not only in the context of, of the startup and perhaps um, the product that we're working on, which some people might like or connect to more than others, but also on a personal level, Alex uh, got married, he moved to Thailand, he wanted to live a digital nomad life, and it was just unfair uh, both sides for both sides to expect um, him to be committed as he was in the past. So that was actually, I would say, 
uh, clear uh, for both sides. And it was putting a strain on only the company. We were also friends from before. It was putting a strain on the on the friendship. I think once we started speaking about it, um, it was very clear. With Alicia, it was a bit different. Um, she was coming back from maternity leave as well. And she actually had a bit of a different background, not coming from, from the startup world and not really knowing what to expect. Uh, so that maybe we weren't necessarily on the same page um, and we were, again, uh, you could, you could say we were not getting along well, but I would like to also say that perhaps one of my greatest prides, maybe one of the greatest achievements of Roundup is that I actually got both of them or we got along after all, and, um, they are now advisors to Roundrack. Most likely if co-founders stick around long enough, they have equity, they, 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 they have some sort of um, stake in the company as it is. And unless they're extremely nasty, they do believe or they should see this as their baby, as their child. Um, and they should want to see it grow and live on, even if they're less involved. And in terms of the breakup process of leaving a co-founder, is it like the same as leaving a romantic partner? How did you go about that process? That's a funny question. I mean, I'll actually say that me and my romantic partner were 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 perfect. Uh, we don't have those issues, but I hear that other romantic uh, partners might have. And and the way it happens there is is uh, it's actually similar to a startup. So it doesn't happen just one morning where you wake up and say, you know, this is the end. But it actually involves you know plate throwing and uh, and throwing clothes out of a window and sitting at the kitchen table uh, middle of the night um, in the dark asking, you know, where have you been? Um, so yeah, it's, it's a process, um, dirty laundry, I must say. And, uh, again, I think, um, we made, we basically made every mistake in the book. I I'll admit that I was unfair. Um, but I think, I think again, even, even if in the beginning, um, or throughout the process, I thought that I was okay. And the other side was not, I think once you open things up, uh, you realize that both sides probably, um, are somewhat at fault. And, and again, the goal should be that, you know, if this, if this um, was your baby, you conceived it together, you made it together, um, even if one will be less involved, just as divorced parents, um, you know, the other one should want to be involved to a certain extent as well, even if they don't get the same uh, uh, visiting rights um, as the other, um, they should have that, that interest and incentive. And I'm glad to say that was the case with us as well. Yeah, I'm just speaking from personal experience, finding a co-founder of those first few business partners is incredibly tough at the start of your startup life. So I can hear where you're coming from. Of course, on the other side, from a legal perspective, this is where I always recommend that you do need to have legal mechanics in place, such as a vesting schedule, which I know that you did, Ari, with your specific co-founders, where they're getting shares over a period of time. So that's definitely recommended. But of course, speaking about babies, I know that you are a father, Ari. So how has that been managing time, being a father and a founder at the same time? So I'm not going to lie there. There isn't an infinite amount of hours in the day. Uh, you do need to prioritize on one hand. And, and I'm not going to lie. I actually found myself, I think it was in the delivery room, uh, texting uh, my developer and one of my developers in the Philippines uh, uh, to fix a bug that we have. Uh, so so I think someone that says that, they could, that both worlds uh, won't collide is uh, is a bit of a liar. On the other hand, I do believe very much. I mean, it is very important to have the support of your family when you embark on on uh, on this journey and this adventure. 
And it is also important to have those reminders, a child, for instance, of why you're in this in the first place. And in our case, we want to change the world. Um, we're trying to, to turn the world to a better place. Um, and I think uh, children are, are a great reminder of that. No, absolutely. So then let's go back to Round Rock in terms of your evolution, or should we say growing up, rather, <laughs> on the theme of babies and children. When we last spoke to you, Round Rock was still, you know, coming into the market and just finding its feet. A lot has happened since then. So how have you evolved? I think um, it's somewhat of a classic trajectory of uh, your average startup. So maybe not the the story that you hear in the newspapers, but there's a lot of hype in the beginning. I think last time we spoke, we were probably right after we raised the pre-seed round. We won a grant. We had a great pipeline, a lot of leads. Um, and then what happens is that once you actually put your product out in the market, you get your feet wet, um, then reality hits you in the fa- face. And the truth is that's where I would say the the real leaders and the real entrepreneurs uh, get into action and perhaps they even like those challenges. So by us, um, it wasn't exactly as we expected. Big surprise. Um, and I think most entrepreneurs, most startups will encounter that. And the question is, what do you do then? Do you give up? Um, do you do you pivot? Do you you know stick your head, uh, just put your put your feet forward and and you know walk against the wind? Um, so I think again, I think it was um, a, a learn. It is a learning experience. Um, I think we got some real traction, probably less than we expected, but there's definitely some real traction there, um, some real interests, got a lot of leads, got to work and speak with a lot of great, great brands and great, great innovators. Um, and the worst thing, the absolute worst thing, which we're actually usually avoid, are able to avoid, is getting the very lukewarm, like, this is cool, this is nice. Um, and I'm proud to say that I got a lot of no's I got a ton of no's, which is wonderful to hear because um, you either want to hear a no every time you hear a no that brings you closer to the yes, and you only want to hear no's and take my monies. Um, You don't want to hear like, oh, this is great. Oh, this is nice. Uh, We'd love this when. Um, So we're definitely moving forward. We have have, uh, customers who are paying. Um, We're looking into more grants. There's a lot of institutions and universities that are interested um, on a research level. Um, so there's a lot of excitement ahead. And, uh, and yeah, and we're, it, it's, it's a matter of, uh, of faith and survival and enjoying the challenge. Yeah, I completely hear you there, Ari. There's nothing worse than getting, we'll think about it type of line when you're having like a partnership or a sales conversation. It's, it's one of the most frustrating things ever. So then let's just bring it right back around to what we discussed at the start of this conversation in terms of you being a co-founder based in Israel, has that impacted your startup at all? And how have you navigated such a large tech ecosystem? On one hand, the fact that it's a large ecosystem is helpful in terms of the mentorship and inspiration you might have here. But actually, when it comes to fashion tech and specifically um, supply chain related startups and and uh, and sustainability related startups it's actually quite a small market and a very tight knit tight knit group um so we're actually very close and helping each other out that's a lot of fun most of the actual market is or the whole market or the one that we're focusing on right now are in the UK and in Europe it's difficult to not being there but again maybe it's 
it makes it less daunting and less scary that I'm not in the midst of things. Um, and it's a great reason sort of to get out um, and and go visit uh, and go visit those uh, those countries and markets. So it's um, it's on one hand a challenge, but on the other hand, I think it's it's uh, a good duality. So I'm just going to finish this episode off with a quick fire round of questions, Ari. So are you ready? First thing that comes to your head. I'll answer as fast as I can in regard to that question. Let's do it. Let's go. Exactly. So one material innovation that really excites you. Um, deserto. One word to describe being a father and a founder. Tiring. Last fashion item purchase that uses an innovative material. Ooh, um, I can't think of any. I like the classics. I like. Okay, so, what did you last buy then? What was the last fashion item you purchased? Last, I, I buy a lot of secondhand stuff. Um, it was probably some like Japanese weird boots good answer because if you're not buying next gen materials you're buying second hand which is sustainable still so i like that answer a tech team that you think is smashing it completely you know just killing it a tech team or a startup either or um deal one tip to any aspiring startup founder you're going to lose a lot of hair so either yeah, yeah just go bald just go bold. So on that note, Ari, how does somebody get to experience the Runrep platform? I would say, I mean, assuming you're you're in the industry, um, you know, just just uh, just give us a call, send out an email. We love showing it to anyone. Um, we love demoing it. We we actually offer free demos, especially if you're a brand or an actual uh, material uh, supplier, material innovator. Like we we love to chat. Love love showing it so get in touch in any way possible thank you very much ari thank you peter this was fun thanks for listening don't forget to click follow to keep up to date with the latest episodes and if you like this episode please give us a review if you want us to feature a specific theme or guest please give us a message at beyondform.io and we'll see you very soon